So I'd encourage you, please, to have a Bible open at Acts chapter 3 and 4 as we come to look at it together. And let's pray together now and ask that God would speak to us this morning. Oh God, by your Spirit just now, would you tell us what we need to hear? And would you show us what we ought to do in order to obey Jesus Christ, our Savior? Speak just now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, we live in a world of cancel culture. Uh, Some of you will know what cancel culture is, and some of you this morning will be scratching your head saying, Marty, what on earth is that? So let me first of all define what cancel culture is, and then let me get you a couple of examples. This week, as I looked for a definition of cancel culture, I came across this one, and I think this sums it up really, really well. Cancelled culture is the attitude that controversial speech or behavior must be punished through public shaming, silencing, boycotting, firing, bankrupting, etc. The result is that the offender's influence, presence, and reputation is cancelled out. It's this idea that in society today, if you say something controversial, something that the mainstream media don't agree with, or something that the policies of the big corporations don't agree with, then you are silenced. Your platform is taken away. You're effectively canceled by culture. Let me give you a couple of examples if you're, if you're not quite sure what I'm talking about. This first lady, this is J.K. Rowling. She writes the Harry Potter novels. She is one of the most famous and celebrated authors in the world. Well, last year, J.K. Rowling said that she believed that gender was defined by biology rather than feelings. In other words, she was saying that a man was a man because of his biology and a woman was a woman because of her biology, not because of how they felt. And the backlash to this was incredible. On her Twitter handle, a lot of people accused her of being transphobic. They stopped following her. They said mean and nasty and horrible things about her. Harry Potter exhibitions were canceled in many libraries. And many of the invitations that she had to speak at book events, those invitations were rescinded. It's interesting, isn't it? Here is a lady who puts forward an opinion which has been the mainstream opinion for millennia and yet instead of debating it or talking about it or or being open to that idea, she was cancelled. Her voice was silenced. The same is with Donald Trump. Now let's be honest, some of his opinions are quite controversial, aren't they? Some of his opinions are a bit wild. But it's interesting, isn't it? Instead of debating with him about them, instead of sitting down and having a conversation about them, instead of listening to them and critiquing them, no, what happened to Donald Trump? He was cancelled. He wasn't allowed to use Twitter anymore. They cancelled his account. He was banned from Snapchat. They cancelled his account. His PGA, the PGA, they they took his course away from a PGA tour. They cancelled him. He had a website where you could buy Trump merchandise and, and the credit, the company that processed the payments, they stopped working for him. They canceled him. Controversial opinion, we do not want to hear it. Donald Trump, J.K. Rowling, canceled. 
there are a number of words that I would use to describe cancel culture. One of them is rash. Cancel culture is immediately judgment. It's judgment immediately without listening, without debating. It's immediate judgment. It's rash. It's immediate outrage. It's also spiteful. You see, anyone who gets cancelled, do you know what that means? That means that they're a target of hate. You know what? J.K. Rowling said these things, so it's okay to hate her. It's okay to write horrible tweets to her. And Donald Trump, my goodness, it's okay to hate him too. That's what cancel culture says. It's also judgmental. How dare you have an opinion that doesn't line up with mine? Oh, my opinion, it is far superior than yours. You must be quiet. I'm going to judge you. Your opinion is not worthy to be heard. And sadly, cancel culture is also unforgiving. There is no grace in it. There is no room for forgiveness. Once you are canceled, that is it. But the last thing I'd say about cancel culture is that it's not new. (laughs) It is not new at all. Because when you look at Acts chapter 4, that's exactly what you see. 2,000 years ago in Acts chapter 4, what you see is you see cancel culture in action. Like I said earlier on, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're going to the temple and they heal a crippled man in the name of Jesus. This man had been crippled for 40 years, and so the people, they're amazed at this, and they want to know, how on earth has this man been healed? And so Peter and John, they start to explain it. They explain how he's been healed. Have a look at verse 13 of Acts chapter 3. They say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. God has healed this man to bring glory to Jesus. God has healed this man so that you may know that Jesus is really, really important. And then they piggyback on that statement and they start to tell these people about Jesus. And what they say about Jesus, it's deeply challenging. Deeply, deeply challenging. What they say about Jesus, it's not very popular. Because what they do is they remind the people that they killed him. Have a look with me at 13 on to 15. Peter reminds the people listening to what they did about Jesus. He says, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Hey, you see this Jesus who's just healed this man? You killed him is what Peter and John say to the people. (laughs) That went down like a lead balloon. Not a very popular thing to say. It's true, but it wasn't popular. And then they go on and they tell the people then what God did to Jesus. God did this, this amazing thing to Jesus. Look at verse 15. He says, you killed him, but verse 15, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. And then he goes on and he says, and it's by faith in Jesus that this man was healed. Look at verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. 
But they don't stop there because Peter and John then tell the people what they need to do. You rejected Jesus, you killed Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead, and now listen to what you need to do. Look at verse 19. Peter and John says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Hey, listen, says Peter and John. Listen, all of you people, you have rejected Jesus. You've rejected Jesus, the one who God raised from the dead. And you need to do something because of that. You need to repent. You need to have a change of direction. That's what repentance means. Repent is to to have a change of mind and a change of direction. You rejected Jesus and now I'm calling you to repent, to change direction and to accept him as the forgiver of your sins and as the leader of your life. Repent, says Peter and John. Repent so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can be refreshed. This was not a popular message. It's never popular when you're calling people to have a change of mind and a change of life and a change of direction. It's never popular when you're helping people see that they've made a mistake in rejecting Christ. And yet this is what Peter and this is what John do. This morning, as you sit here in this place, I wonder are there any of you who need to listen afresh to the words of Peter and John? Maybe you find yourself in church this morning and you're sitting here and you're glad to be here, but you have rejected Jesus. He comes to you and he says to you, I have forgiveness for you, and you say, I don't want to take it. He comes to you and he says to you, I am the Lord and I want to be the Lord of your life, and you say, Not my life, Jesus. Maybe you find yourself here this morning and you're one of these people who has rejected and is rejecting Jesus. Well, this morning, God calls you to repent, to change direction, to to stop rejecting him and to turn towards Christ and to receive his forgiveness and to receive his lordship and to receive new life in his name. If you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to Christ, to stop rejecting him. Anyway, this message about Jesus, it was hugely unpopular. And it's interesting because the people it was unpopular with, it wasn't the masses listening. In fact, 5,000 of them did repent. It was unpopular with the religious leaders. It didn't go down with the religious leaders of the day, the same religious leaders who had Jesus killed. (laughs) You know, it must have been really annoying for these religious leaders, mustn't it? I mean, they thought that they had done a brilliant job at canceling Jesus. They killed him for goodness sake. They'd had him crucified. He was buried. What a great job they'd done on canceling Jesus. But then God raised him from the dead. And then these apostles, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, then they started going out and talking about Jesus. The religious leaders, they they didn't like this. They were furious by this. They didn't like that the message of Jesus was being shared in their neck of the woods. And you see that very clearly in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Have a look with me at the text. 
the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they're mid-sermon. They're speaking to the people. They're telling people about Jesus. And this big group of people come up to them. Then look at verse 2. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They don't like what's going on here. They don't like the message of Jesus being spread. They do not approve of what Peter and John are saying about Jesus. This message, it needs to be canceled. And so what do they do? Well, again, they work very hard to cancel the message of Jesus. And they employ four tactics in order to try to stop these apostles speaking about Jesus anymore, they employ four cancel tactics to get them to zip it. And you can see all four in the text of Acts 4. The first thing they do is they punish them for speaking about Jesus. They punish them. They punish them for telling others about Christ. You see that in verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. They put them in prison for a night. No solicitors, no trial, just put into prison, into the cells for a night. And you can imagine the type of people that might have been in there with them. It would have been a frightening experience. The message was very clear. If you keep talking about Jesus, more stuff like this is going to happen to you. And then the next day, then they move on to intimidation. They punish them, then they intimidate them. Look at the crowd they bring to try to intimidate Peter and John. Look at the size of the crowd. Look with me at verses four to five. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. These are three big groups of people. And then you've got some important people. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Imagine the intimidation there. Here's two fishermen. And here we are, the elite and the powerful. And now we're going to question. That will intimidate them. That will get them to zip it, won't it? They'll be quiet after being questioned by us. They try to intimidate Peter and John to stop them speaking about Jesus. And then they just plain old censor them. I mean, that's the next tactic. The, the next tactic is they, they just tell them that they're no longer allowed to do this. You're not allowed to speak about Jesus anymore. We're going to silence you. You're not allowed to speak in his name. If they had Twitter, they'd be canceling it. If they had Facebook, they'd be taking their account away. They censor them. That's the next tactic. And again, you see that in verses 17 to 18. Have a look with me at the text. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. We command you to no longer speak about Christ. You must zip it. They censor them. And then finally, they threaten them. They threaten them. They make threats against Peter and John. And again, you see this in verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. It's amazing, isn't it? Here it is. 
2,000 years ago, cancel culture in action. The message of Jesus, the religious people do not want people to hear about it. And so they do their very best to cancel the message going out. But here's a question, why do they want to cancel it? Why do they want to cancel this message about Jesus? Why do they want Jesus cancelled? For those of us sitting here as Christians this morning, it's kind of hard for us to understand because we've received forgiveness that comes from Jesus and it's amazing. We are now in this relationship with God through Christ and we're so pleased about it. We've had our lives turned the right way up and it's brought us joy to know Jesus. And so I think it's easy for us to scratch our heads and wonder why on earth do the religious people want Jesus cancelled and why on earth do people want Jesus cancelled today? Why would people rather we didn't speak about Jesus? Why are people trying to silence the gospel in the world we live in? Well, I think it's because the religious people of the day and, and people today realize that if they accept the message of Jesus, they're going to have to change things. And they do not want any change. You see, think of the religious leaders of the day. If they accept the message of Jesus, which by the way, they know is true because they say it's true. Everyone in Jerusalem knows this has been done in the name of Jesus. They know it's true. But they won't accept it, I think, because they know it's going to mean change. It means they're going to have to admit that they've gotten things wrong about Jesus. They're going to have to admit that they were wrong to reject him. That he is actually God's son after all. They're going to have to admit that and that's going to be hard and that's going to be difficult. And they might lose face by doing that. It also means they're going to have to start relying on Jesus to forgive them instead of their performance. The religious leaders liked it. They could go and they could make their sacrifices at the temple and they could do their religious stuff and they could feel that they were right with God based on their own merit. But if they accept Jesus, they're going to have to accept him as the forgiver of their sins. They're going to have to rely on him as their forgiver. They're going to have to put all of their trust in him. And that's going to be hard for them. And then they're going to have to listen to Jesus they, they can't ignore him anymore. They can't wash him off as some false prophet. If they accept the truth about Jesus, they're going to have to listen to him and live differently in light of the things he taught. If you want to put it in a word, if the religious leaders actually accept Christ, they're going to have to repent. They're going to have to turn. They're going to have to change. They're going to have to follow and live for Christ. And I think that's today why many people want the message of Jesus to be cancelled. It's not actually because they don't think it's true. It's not because they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died on the cross for their sin and rose again and, and could give them a new life. It's not because of that, I think. I think people won't cancel Jesus cancelled today because he calls them to repent and to make a change. And this isn't easy and it's not comfortable and it involves admitting you were wrong and trusting in Christ for forgiveness. This morning again, I wonder is that you here? 
Are you here this morning and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you here this morning and you believe that he died on the cross for your sin? Are you here this morning and you believe God raised him from the dead? Are you here this morning and you believe that he can change your life? But you just don't like the thought of change and repenting and turning to Jesus? Is that you this morning? Are you rejecting him because you do not like the thought of accepting him? Is that you this morning? My friend, if it is, I know you might not like the idea of accepting Jesus. I know you might not like the idea of repenting and turning to him, but can I tell you as your friend this morning that if you don't, you are in serious, serious trouble. And the reason you're in serious trouble this morning, if you don't accept Christ as your forgiver and as your leader, the reason you're in serious trouble is outlined in verse 12 of chapter 4. Have a look with me at the text. Peter says to the religious leaders, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. As your friend this morning, I need to make it really clear to you that if you reject Jesus in this life, When you stand before God on judgment day, Jesus will reject you. That is an unpopular message. That's one I guess many people would like to cancel today. But that is the truth. Friend, if you reject Jesus in this life, you will be rejected on that day of judgment. But friend, the great news is that if you accept him, if you turn to him in faith and you receive his forgiveness and you you repent, you change direction and you trust him as your savior and you live with him as your leader, the wonderful thing is that there will be salvation for you. You'll be rescued from the punishment your sin deserves. You'll be rescued from the hell that will be yours if you don't accept Christ. I don't say that out of a place of arrogance this morning. I certainly don't say it out of a place of delight this morning. I say it because it's true this morning. And even though the world would love to cancel that message, it's true. Friend, please, please, please do not reject Christ but accept him as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. One of the things that I like about cancel culture, and there is something I actually like about cancel culture, one of the things I like about it is whenever it backfires, (laughs) you see, it's really interesting. Cancel culture, it doesn't often backfire. Normally people are canceled once they're canceled, but a couple of weeks ago in October, just the end of October there, there was a wonderful example when cancel culture was completely and utterly backfired. There was a Princeton from, a, 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 a professor from Princeton University in America, and he'd been invited to give this lecture at MIT, one of the most prestigious universities in the world. 
But a couple of weeks before he was due to give the lecture, he said something that got him cancelled. What did he say? He said that he thought that students should be graded according to merit only and not according to gender or race or sexuality. Yes, that's right. He was cancelled for that. He said that students should be merited based on how well they did in the tests and that their gender and sexuality and race shouldn't come into it. That seems pretty logical, doesn't it? But that was unacceptable. He was labeled misogynist. He was labeled homophobic. He was labeled racist. And so the invitation to speak at MIT, it was taken away. He was canceled. You're not allowed to speak at our prestigious university. But it backfired. Because on the back of that, some students said that they would like to hear his lecture. And so they asked him if he would give the lecture at Princeton University, which he said he would. And on the basis of that, thousands of students signed up to hear it. And thousands of students went along to hear this science professor give a lecture in a scientific subject. Cancel culture could not stop this man giving his lecture. And my friends, what I want you to know this morning is that cancel culture will never stop the message of Jesus going out. Cancel culture does not have the power to do that. We see it here in our passage. We see it in Peter and John. The religious leaders have said, you must not speak about Jesus anymore. But what do they say? They say, we are really sorry to hear that but we're going to obey God and not you. We're really sorry to hear that you don't want to hear about Jesus, but listen, we cannot help but tell people what we've seen and heard about him. Have a look at verses 19 and 20. They say to the religious leaders, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They could not cancel the message of Jesus going out. And today, 2,000 years later, I want to assure you as God's people, the message of Jesus will not be canceled today or any other day. The message of Jesus will go to the ends of the earth. The message of Jesus will go and transform lives. The message of Jesus will never, ever be canceled. But let me ask you a challenging question this morning. Will you as an individual allow cancel culture to stop you talking about Jesus? On one hand, I want to assure you that the gospel will go out. The cancel culture won't stop it. But my question is, will it stop you? Will it stop you as an individual? with your friends, with your family, in your workplace, will it stop you? Or may we have the boldness of Peter and John to say no and never, it won't. I hope you see this morning that I hate cancel culture. I think it is an enemy of free speech. I think it is an enemy of free thinking. I hate cancel culture with a passion. But you know what I love? I love that Jesus is the very opposite of cancel culture. 
Do you see who Jesus called his friends? He called cancelled people his friends. Think about the friends of Jesus. There was a betrayer, a thief, a prostitute, just to name a few. People who would be cancelled because of their behavior to Jesus were part of his friendship circle. He was unwilling to cancel the worst of the worst. He was unwilling to cancel the baddest of the bad. He was unwilling to cancel the guiltiest of the guilty. He moved towards those who society canceled out. He loved the leper. He touched the misfit. He went towards the liar and the sexually deviant. Jesus refused to dismiss those who'd been dismissed. He refused to reject those who'd been rejected. He refused to denounce those who'd been denounced. You see, what I love about Jesus is that there is only one thing he loves to cancel. And that is sin. Colossians 2 says this about Jesus. He forgave all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, kneeling it to the cross. Friends, our culture cancels people who have done terrible things. But Jesus cancels the terrible things that people have done. The sins that cancel culture cannot forget Jesus chooses to never remember. My friends, Jesus is a wonderful Savior. Whatever you have done, whatever sins are on your record, he can cancel them in an instant when you turn to him. He wipes them completely away. Jesus is the one who loves 70 times 7 forgiveness. Oh friend, this morning, if you've not accepted him, Will you come to him? Will you come to him today? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we are confident this morning that you have been at work amongst us as the word has been preached. And so just now in the silence, would you bring to our attention one thing from this sermon that you do not want us to forget? Holy Spirit, we also believe that you're calling us to do something different to repent, to change, to, to, to live in a different way, having heard the word of God this morning. So Holy Spirit, in the silence now, we would ask that you would bring to our attention one thing that you would have us do in light of the sermon that we have just heard. Holy Spirit, as we leave this building in a few moments' time, may these things not leave us, but may they transform us by your power. May the Word of God do its work in each of our lives today and in the coming days.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.